0: Last week, we spoke with Captain Skip Smith from the famed Madam and the Hooker, which traveled the world for 13 years, catching a pile of world record billfish on light, very light line. I felt we had left a lot of his world on the table, and with his story being so compelling, we needed to get him back on ASAP. So today, here we go, part two, with Captain Skip Smith. And we broke everything, we broke lines, we broke hooks, we broke rods, we broke our minds, we broke marriages, we broke the whole thing.
1: We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls and whoever had the biggest pair of panties went to pot. I knocked another arrow and he turned around the other way and I shot him going through the other way so I double lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All
0: right, now we're going to teach him a lesson.
1: I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet.
0: And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out thoroughly used up proclaiming wildly wow what a ride
1: (laughs) there's something fishy going on here so you sat here and came up with a bunch more questions when you did you listen to the last well you know
0: skip yeah you know it was so awesome to sit with you you know a couple weeks ago and when you left i started thinking wow I didn't get halfway through all the questions and, and you know, the, the things I wanted to talk to you about. And it was like, you're our first doubleheader. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for coming back. Um, I know that you went back to Capos uh, for this last week, but uh, now that you're back and we're sitting here, um, you know, we were talking about all the the world records on light tackle and traveling the world. But you guys were as much known for your parting and, and your, your craziness and the chaos as you were your fishing, don't you think?
1: I don't know if we were known for it. It was just part of the life in the eighties like that. It was, you know, when when a fisherman gets back to port, you know, they want to go out and let their hair down and, and and chase some girls and you end up uh running the beach here in Fort Lauderdale up and down the beach. And it was pretty crazy back in those days anyway. So It seemed like uh, our boat would end up being a party late at night quite a bit. The boss was pretty relaxed about those sort of things, even when he was on the boat. So we kind of had a the the green light, no matter if he was on the boat or not.
0: Oh, that's you know because I think that the whole country was almost like in a state of anarchy at at one point near that era because it was post Vietnam, the sexual revolution was going off, Uh, Nixon was out, uh, pot smoking. Um, was in, and it was almost like a rebellious state um, that, no, we're going to live our lives the way we want to live our lives. It was the first time, you know, the old school was kind of like being challenged by a younger generation. And I I saw that too with the ski race stuff. Yeah. You know? How did you come out with
1: the, uh, get to be known as the Texas Terrors? Um, If I believe correctly, I think some writer tagged that on us um in about 82 i believe it was and um dunaway loved the name it just stuck overnight and believe it or not in 83 dunaway sold the boats the boat and sold his business and we hooked up with uh tom o'connell on a 54 bertram he had a boat called renegade and jerry and tom got together and put their money together fish all the tournaments so the Renegade actually kind of took over that name right. and kept it. We ended up not using it when we, in '86 because we weren't quite the Texas Terrors anymore, terrorizing Texas. We were getting ready to leave the the country for a few years, so ended up the Renegade ended up taking that name over. But for '83, uh, we uh, in '82 actually when they tagged us with that, we went over to Texas and we fished the tournament circuit, and I think we got three first place um maybe a second and a third and a couple of last i mean we it was unbelievable you, you dominated yeah and i think that's when that uh line tagged us
0: because i didn't know if it was based on partying or or your success in the domination on the, on no, the open water there, there was
1: not too many parties in texas it was hard <laughs> to find a party in texas it's, that coast was pretty bland back then you know you had to drive Great. into houston to get a good meal or chase girls and as you went down to Port O'Connor, there was nothing down there at all. Um, and uh, Port Aransas was pretty dead back pretty then. Boring. So, yeah, it was pretty – the coast was pretty dead at that time. Unless spring break I heard about down in South Padre got pretty crazy. But uh, right. we never got dead in the spring. We were always down there in the late summer.
0: It, one of the funny stories that I read in your book was talking about these uh, – there was a bet who had who could find the, 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 the largest – woman right (laughs) there was an outrigger hanging with some extra large panties uh, that was the next
1: morning (laughs) that was in the early years that was in Cozumel yeah we 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 formatted uh, what they did in Poco Bueno when they auctioned each boat off and for fun there was two of two boats going down and we got (laughs) we got to Cozumel and I think uh it had to be the rum or something else but we uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. So we all put in some money and then we auctioned everybody off. And it was one guy that he, he never, he couldn't score. So I kind of spread a little secret around everybody that when he comes up, only bet nickels, don't bet dollars. Like have went for a hundred bucks, you know? So he came up, and we got up to a quarter and I said, sold, <laughs> nobody had any faith in him. But anyhow, it was a fun night. I mean, it was crazy. We jumped in the cab. We got to the city, and everybody started running up asking girls to dance. I mean, as soon as we got in the bar, there was no drinks, no nothing. Everybody had a good time with it. But there was a winner. There was a big set of bloomers in the other boat. They won. They put them on the outriggers. Oh, yeah. They were hanging. <laughs> That's
0: funny. Yep.
1: But uh, but your brother,
0: Ket, Kunta, he he was a wild man, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There was no, no, nothing was safe with my brother nope
0: was it uh t- tell me some of the you know accolades that you have uh, obviously you guys had a celebration of life and your mother was telling a story about about your brother
1: oh my gosh the stories that even just like when mom was on the boat nothing was sacred my mom was uh
0: she was cool with it
1: all oh yeah she, she back then we all wore those short sportive shorts and if you were sitting in the cockpit and my brother was standing up on the bridge but they, you didn't wear any underwear back then. If you wore underwear and they got wet, you'd end up with pimples all over your butt. Right. So everybody just wore just the sportives and nothing underneath them. So if you're in the cockpit and you looked up on the bridge and my brother was standing up there sitting on the steps, your gear would be hanging out. So my mother would complain all the time about, you know, tuck that thing in or put it away or, you know, go get some longer shorts. So it was quite the sight. But the, one of the funny stories is first thing in the morning, Kunta would smoke a joint. And then we, you know, take off. Mom's on the boat, mom and dad and some guests. And we get about halfway across from from Cozumel to the mainland. He smokes another joint. And we put the baits out and we're fishing. And about 10 o'clock back in those days, they used to drink Miller Lite on ice. You know, beer on ice, make it last all day. So my mom goes, Kunta, get me a beer and a glass of ice. Mom, it's only 10 o'clock she says kunta you smoke two doobies go get me a beer <laughs> <laughs> i think i
0: think one of the funny stories you're mentioning and, and, and speaking about was when you guys were in south lake tahoe
1: and oh, uh oh my gosh tell me that one. Oh well kunta was known, known for his exploits and my dad and i decided to hop in the van and go we're gonna go to the casino and and gamble for a couple hours and So we leave the house and there's my brother and my sister and some friends and my mom and we get on the road. My dad turns around to me and looks at at me and says, you think Kunto hit on mom while we're gone? (laughs) (laughs) I about drove off the side of the road. (laughs) It's the funniest lines my dad probably hit me with in many years, oh my gosh. How did you,
0: uh, tell me about um, Bill Lyons.
1: Bill Lyons was a tax attorney from Texas and he had a passion for marlin fishing and a great spirit. And um, he would uh, first charter us with his uh, beautiful wife, Connie. And he'd bring another couple with him usually, uh, or a friend. Fast Eddie was one of the guys. And there was a few others he brought with us. But he had the passion and he liked to try new things. He, he pushed me to my limit as far as trying new things, um, bringing ideas, and he liked filming everything, you know, and he used to fish with Black Bart in Hawaii a lot. So he brought some things over Bart was doing and showed me. And he was just, like I said, he pushed me to my limits, but you get him in the chair and and we were fishing eighties uh, back then in uh, Kuiba, Hannibal Bank. And we actually caught the biggest marlin we caught all season with him. We caught a 713 or something with him. another little boat hooked up next to us on one of the club boats. And they are getting ready to cut the line because they had to be in by like 3 o'clock. And uh, they called us. And so Bill said, let's go over and get their angler and put them on the boat. So we did. And there were a couple of Germans. And actually, the one German had won a gold medal in the Olympics. I forget what four up top of my head. Um, But anyhow, we put them on the boat. And they had hooked up at the same time we did. And their fish ended up weighing 690. We caught it at night. And I think they drank all the scotch on the way in, but they were pretty happy getting back to the dock when we weighed those two fish. But Bill was like that. He was sharing his boat, sharing his, uh, life. Connie was a great cook. She'd give us haircuts too. <laughs> she had done hair when, of course being down there for three months on an island, You needed a haircut. Even I did back then. Um, but he was just such a, a innovator and he ended up, uh, fishing a bunch off of Texas after, you know, in his late years he bought a merit boat and uh i even flew out there one time and he had files and files of satellite information on marlin that we studied and, and went through and i mean he so had a he passion.
0: was as driven if not more so than most of the captains yeah yeah well he's so the line in your book says that he told you skip you'd be great if you'd stop partying yep
1: you know, Did that influence you in any way? Huge. It was a huge influence to hear someone say that. I wasn't partying like my brother, but I guess it was enough that he could see the difference in me. Whether it was mood swings, whatever it was, but when he told me that that night, that was I quit everything. 1983. I'll never forget it. Are you totally clean? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, I like you a stopped drinking beers.
0: at that, uh, that time, or
1: i didn't really drink that or drugging or whatever it was i was smoking a little bit of weed and drinking drinking rum but to me it wasn't hard partying right but it was just enough to alter your mindset and even though sometimes you think if you smoke the joint you almost can concentrate better on certain things but for me that was the end i didn't no more you know you know it's interesting that you say this because when i was on the olympic team
0: i was younger and I didn't really understand that, uh, you know, how serious uh, it was at the time. Because when you're, you know, in your early 20s, you you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, you have boyfriends and girlfriends and, you know, everybody's drinking a little bit, having fun and partying. But back in my generation, there was really not a lot of money uh, available unless you were the best in the world. And I wasn't even close to that. But once I got out and, and, and and my years with the US ski team was over, I started reflecting back because it felt like I got more serious when I became a fisherman. Then I realized what I was doing as a fisherman, I had a second chance to do something well. And had I had that focus as a skier, I think it would have been a whole lot better. Because when I became a fisherman, it was, I was, I took it very, very seriously, probably more so than I was as an Olympic skier. And no one that I was competing with in all the Tarpon Terms and the Keys had that kind of mindset. And I can see what you're talking about, what Bill was talking about, because once you decide that I'm going to go to the next level and no one's going to outwork me, no one's going to outsmart me, and they're not going to compete with me unless we have bad luck. And that's probably the same that uh, that you realized when Bill came to you?
1: Well, the unfortunate part about being in the, the fishing business, even ch- starting from your charter, my, my charter days, is all your guests are down there to let their hair down and have a good time. There was people that would bring cocaine on the boat. You know, they'd be partying all the time. And then the next charter come in and they'd bring cocaine on the boat and be smoking weed all day. So you kind of got used to that party atmosphere that it was okay, because you got millionaires bringing stuff on the boat. So you're introduced to the party life every day, it's, so, it's, it's so it's exhausting too. Yeah, yep. So you know, here you're watching it going on every day. It was so easy to justify. It's like, oh, if they can do it, we can do it. They right. wanted to do it with us, and the next charter does it. So next thing you know, you're wrapped up in that life, and fishing seems pretty easy. You go out to put the baits out, you catch a few fish, you get in, you drink, you're going out. Life is good. You're you, as a crew, you're living the life of a multi-millionaire on somebody else's dollar, right? Using their boat, hey girls, come on, come on the boat, you know. So you're you're just having a time of your life at that age. There is no concentration, there is no hardly goals. These kids today out there fishing, they are goal oriented. They're up first thing in the morning, rigging baits. You don't see that party life going on anymore. You'll see them have their cocktails when they come in, but you 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 don't see that party life as much anymore. Right? I don't. I know the guys on the charter docks see a little bit more. They're exposed to it being on the beach and the, and that sort of party life, but. The crews that are out there sport fishing, they are so dialed in. And we didn't have that, you know, back then there was only a tournament here, a tournament there, you know, three or four a year. There was like four or five in Texas at the time, only a couple here in South Florida. Now there's a tournament every weekend and the guys get to fish a lot of them. So they're really concentrated. Uh, I think they're more focused like like you got later in life. Right. For me, the era you're talking about coming out of 83, you know, we were chartering a lot and bosses fishing a lot and it was just, fun fishing or record you know learning we we're just learning about how to catch records back then and once i i focused a little bit more it was crazy because like when i went to africa in uh 87 88 um actually we left uh january 88 to go over february march we left march of 88 we got to africa i didn't drink or anything i didn't want to do anything at all i wanted to fish from sun up the sun down and a little bit more if i could i didn't want to feel bad in the morning and i didn't want to drink and go get aids for any reason right <laughs> chasing girls over there so i shut down everything and most of the time i would even you know here you got a, a yacht full of liquor you got everything you want the beer didn't even taste good after a while right because right? we stacked so much beer on the american beer on the boat so you didn't even like it after a while. It was just all about fishing. In Australia, the fishing was so great. You wanted to be on top of your game. You're afraid of those big fish hurting you. Right. You're not afraid, but, but you want all your- Accidents
0: take place when you're not- Yeah, you uh, you need every brain cell. A your, game going.
1: Your, 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 your peripheral vision at its best so you can see anything coming. You just need to be on top of it. It must have it. been horrible too, having a hangover and going offshore on those big seas. Yeah, some well, I guess some guys get used to it, but I didn't want any part of it. It just you wanted yeah. to be at your best. Do
0: you think because of all the partying that's how Kunta ended up uh
1: where he was, you know, as an addict? Yeah. Or do you think that's more DNA stuff? I think it's more DNA stuff. I mean, he didn't drink when he was younger. He just smoked a little bit of weed. He hardly drank. We always said he'd never have a miller time. Right. <laughs> that commercial was out right. back then. And, you know, but he was exposed to that partying every day you know, when he came back here in the charter dock and then he was uh, in Texas when he quit me, he he was living with a stripper. And uh, he ended up actually being a male stripper for a short while. But her being a stripper, it was that crazy sex life, multi, you know, girlf- right. girlfriends of hers and the partying oh. and the drugs. So I think once you're exposed to that and the more and more you are, it's just, and then it starts hitting those certain brain cells that people get affected. And he just yeah. never could stop. He was just always on and off. I think I put him through three or four rehabs. And he just never, he would do good for a little while. Take ownership and, and want to, just go could, to the other he thing. just couldn't find that inner peace. Yeah. It was, it, it was sad. He loved making everybody else happy, though. He'd go out of his way to make you laugh and do anything for you. But he couldn't sit by himself and look at himself. You yeah know, even though that serenity's out there when you're fishing we talked about that last time we can go fishing and catch nothing and just enjoy the birds and the trees and the watercolors and the, the other fish passing by that we're not interested in catching whether you want to call it a porpoise or a shark or whatever swimming by that we see the, the great stuff we really appreciate now in our lives
0: yeah well listen i'm really sorry that your brother's passed but uh
1: his memories are going to live long and and large oh, i wanted to write a book about him but i had to get a ghostwriter to sit with him because of all the crazy stuff he did after i left right you know as our lives separated and he went his way but the the, the other stories that i know of there's just crazy it would have been it would have been better than hunter s thompson or anything that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> the um one of the things i love
0: about fishing and and you hear this these stories told by almost everybody that is a fisherman. When you leave the dock in the morning, Flip Pallet says, when my hand leaves the dock, when I push the boat away. Steve Huff talks about when I put my throttle down, he says, and he's leaving, and he gets up on plane. I am free. He's a good one. Yeah, you know, and I and the offshore boats. I've always been captivated by the sound and the rumble of the engines. Not necessarily the diesel smoke and fumes. I mean, obviously those are horrible, but I love the rumbling of, of that engine. Uh,
1: tell me about the music that that engine uh, portrays. I grew For up you. on a drift boat, and when you start up in the morning, I'd love the smell of that diesel. <laughs> I, didn't, I could almost stand behind a bus and, because I knew I was going fishing. right. So I guess it affects different people. But the the engine noise, to me, I think it's uh, it's so important. I, I really believe that that sound really attracts fish. It raises fish. Yeah, sound travels seven times faster in water than it does on land. And after I got off the hooker, I ended up working with the Navy and the University of Miami. We built a boat called the Sound Machine, and we put speakers in the hull really, to play at a low frequency. And when it worked, it worked. We were having trouble keeping the speakers together. We had 50-pound magnets driving the the fluid to drive the fluid outside the boat to make the water move. And uh, it was very interesting. But after going through all that, I know there's a lot more to sound. I mean, this is only my belief. But even when I used to fish outboards in my younger days, trying to troll, you would have to put them at about 1800 RPMs to get eight knots. It was kind of a whining sound. Now with these four strokes, I believe they're catching more fish because it's a lower frequency. They're not whining like they used to. It, to me, it's changed what I can hear. So when you go to diesels and you hear that low rumble, it's, it's so important. They're gonna hear that. Just think how far that sounds going. Right. Is it going forward? but you take the diesel sound, whether it's a ship going by or whatever it may be. And if you're a fish swimming at 120 feet, your lateral line's picking up different frequencies, it's picking up the weak of wounded, it's picking up uh, you know, all sorts of sounds. So when a boat goes by, if a fish can hear that rumble and they look up, what'd they used to see when, you, when I was fishing in the beginning? Two little tiny teasers next to the boat, maybe the splashing, Ballyhoo's splashing on the surface and look at what they're doing now. They put those dredges out. It's changed the fisheries so much. Now you got a big school of fish right near the boat. So the fishes, they hear that rumbling of those diesels and they look up. School of fish. And hear the, and they're used to seeing floats them with you know bait mm-hmm. around it, but right. now they got a boat going by, but they see this whole school of fish going by. Now the guy's got swimming ballyhoos on J hooks. They're not skipping anymore. So they're a little bit under the water. We're starting to, take steps down deeper to the raise billfish. Yeah, to, to raise column. billfish. So it's changed it completely. As far as your tarpon concern, when I when I was in St. Thomas, I was changing the props on the on the sound machine. And I'm down there and I look around, I didn't see hardly any fish around at all. And I went, wow, I wanna h- listen to the speakers while I'm down here, see if they're working. So I popped my head up, I said, hey Scott, go turn the, the sound machine on. And I went back down there and you can hear it go, and all of a sudden i look and there's a mangrove snapper a couple of snappers coming in and all of a sudden the tarpon come in and they're all wheeling around looking like oh it's feeding time what's going on in here and out of nowhere in a short time those speakers attracted all those fish in that bay that's red crazy hooked. yeah our boat manufacturers
0: now trying to take a closer look at what kind of a sound they want that boat to make
1: no they're not too concerned about the sound i think they're more concerned about the color of the carpet the drapes attract the women in there to okay the the men to buy the boat (laughs) right (laughs) but uh you know they do make sure their bottom gear is perfect i mean there was one boat that fished the bbc years ago and he didn't catch a fish in all four or five of the tournaments and they went back and got that boat dialed in maybe it was a bearings or rudders clunking or whatever it may be and they came back and they won the bbc i think the next year and place uh and so many t- tournaments so getting your shafts and props and rudders and all that running gear right is so important whether painting squid or bonitas on the bottom of the boat i'm not sure how much that adds to it because all the guys put these little fish underneath the bottom of the boat painted right. on the bottom but keeping your ge- gear dialed in so when it comes back to d- diesels i don't think there's one that's better than the others but they all make that low frequency if you think about it if you pull up to a stoplight in south florida or probably anywhere you don't hear the treble of those boom boxes, you hear the, 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 base. the bass, right. it's that low frequency. When the University of Miami was working on that sound, they would throw a hydrophone in the water right there in Biscayne Bay, or whatever you call the thing, the intermittent speaker or some sort of speaker, they had hydrophones and speakers, they wanted to listen to everything. They would turn it on and the fish would come in, the mackerel would get aggressive and everything, and they turn it off and everything would mellow out and move out. And uh, that's some of the, the uh, information I was working with from University of Miami, and it was so interesting. And there was a guy out there that made a small speaker. He calls one a Mako magnet, a tuna magnet, I think. But they're to me, they're just a little too small. They don't—they're not that low frequency that I was taught by the University of Miami. We needed. But the guys all put them in their boats and tried them. And one boat won a tournament with them. And next thing you know, everybody had to have them. But I haven't seen them really come out. When I when I sent that one to Miami to test, they said the frequency was too high. Um, wrong or right, who knows. It was just right. one person's opinion. But um, I haven't seen any come out there like that. But it, it's coming, believe me. Interesting. We spent $150,000 on ours. And we finally gave up. We couldn't keep the face on the outside. The boat did 30 knots. And you got a rubber gasket. To be able to move the, 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 the fluid I put inside the boat between the, the magnet and we had about a 18 inch square area and it had to fill. And I think it took um, uh, two to three gallons of fluid and we would put vodka in there, not water. Because vodka was lighter than water, to be able to move with a magnet to move the water outside. Oh, how crazy! So everybody thought I had to drink and have it, buying all that vodka all the time. But anyhow, it was to raise fish. Yeah, oh, raise And fish. Then, then we'd rip the rubber off, and all the fluid would be going out. We'd have salt water in there, and it wouldn't have, it wouldn't be able to move it as much as move the water with those speakers.
0: Wow, how sophisticated is that?
1: It was crazy. Yeah, that boat was a. She was a special. It was a GNS also. After I got off the hooker, we went and built that boat, and and. uh the owner's name was uh, Mr. Love, and he 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 tried his best, and he finally gave up. We we're hauling the boat out all the time, putting new new uh, faces on there to to move. Shame he gave up. I'd love to continue with it. Yeah,
0: uh, tell me about the Promised Land. I mean, the last time we spoke, we were talking about Madeira, you know, the greatest big game fishery in the world. But you were saying in that part of the world. But I think you're mentioning the talking about the Promised Land being Australia. You just mentioned that, and about the big fish down there.
1: I think I think the only people that knew about Madeira back in uh, in the 80s was uh, people making wine and, uh, and European vacations. The fishery was just not there at the time. They probably knew there was tuna there and a lot of other stuff in Madeira. But Australia has been the spot since probably uh, the early 70s, maybe even the 60s. I forgot what year George Bransford, he flew over there during the war and uh, went back there and caught the first Marlin. George Bransford was right here, from right here in South Florida. But he went back over there and really discovered the fishery. But Australia, when you're talking about big game, the most granders ever caught, still to this day, have all been out of Australia. And the odds of getting one, I wouldn't know what they are. But I mean, you that, go out there and catch a 7, 800 pounder, I mean, it's still bigger than probably any marlin people have caught ever in the Atlantic. Right. You know, so to go out there, and the neatest thing about going to Australia is you don't fish from sun up to sundown. You get up in the morning, you have breakfast on the mothership or on the game boat. Back in my day, there wasn't too many big enough game boats to, to have it be its own fish feed you know, feed you and everything right. else. You had to get a mothership back in those days, the boats were like 40 feet. So you get on the mothership and, and they weren't even that big. It was just like a yacht and you'd have your breakfast and then the crew would take you out to the to the reef and you'd do a snorkel dive and look at giant clams and weird looking fish you'd never seen before. And then you get back on the boat and rinse off. And then next thing you know, you had to go catch all your bait. You had to catch your scads and your bonitas and whatever you could catch for scaly mackerels, whatever, you you know, whatever you could catch, you almost could put out, but you're really concentrating on getting a lot of scads because the bitey gang out there, your kudas and mackerels would eat your baits all day long. So you had to have plenty of scads and you'd catch bait and then clean the bait. Then about 11 o'clock, you stick your nose out there to start fishing. And you'd only fish till about four o'clock because if you hooked up after that, you wouldn't be able to get back inside the reef. It was just so hard to navigate and some boats did. Some boats would fish till you know, like five and really push it. But if you hooked that big girl at five and had to fish into in the night, you couldn't hardly get back inside that barrier reef. It's gotta be so scary. Yeah, right? and it was before GPS. I'm sure GPS right. has helped them somewhat, but they have these things that, that they, they call them a balmy. And it's just like a round piece of coral growing up from the bottom in the middle of nowhere and it comes up within about three or four feet of the surface. So you don't see them. It's well, like- you can see them, but coming in at night, they're everywhere. They're just like, you know, bowling pins everywhere. And uh, uh, the, one of the first nights when I got to run a boat, when I got the hooker out there, I had a fish take me offshore. So I came in in the night <laughs> and it was crazy because I'm looking, you know, I'm in the tower, I got spotlights on, I'm just barely putting in and out of gear and just, you know, you're doing one knot all the way in to get in. And that's the way you'd have to get in. You get both your crew, your deckhands up on the bow, and they're looking with you. They got spotlights, or you got a spotlight up in the tower, and you're just bumping and bumping and pitting and weaving, and it's just not worth it. It's so dangerous.
0: I don't understand why they would go out so late in the day if they only had such a, a small they just number of
1: hours to fish. It's almost like uh, Panama where they they just don't bite in the morning oh that's very it. seldom very seldom you can fish all day but all you're doing is feeding the kudas and stuff right. what
0: uh what do you think turns the bite turns these fish on
1: who knows in panama like a tropic star lodge you fish from sun up till about 10 o'clock and then it's like marlin shut off yep very seldom you get a bite and the boats go in about 3 in tropic star lodge i used to go back to the, the brief about three or four, th- uh, three because i didn't have to be in for any reason every once in a while i'd get a bite out of a black late but it was crazy it it was Been sitting morning there all bite. day but that morning bite four or five boats are hooked up black marlin jumping everywhere it's gonna be a great day 10 11 o'clock it's over crazy
0: We I mean, you know we were talking about uh, all these world records that you guys were catching on four pound test uh what was the uh, your leader weight like 400 pound you know the 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 shock in fly fishing we call that the, the 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 shock tippet, you know from the hook to the class tippet. Yep. So, what was your connection knot, and how heavy was that monofilament coming off the hook?
1: Uh, it changed for each different line class we were using. IGFA rule says on twenty pound and under, you can only have a fifteen foot leader, and the leader is measured from the the where the the end of the hook right up until the, the where it attaches to the snap swivel. You can only have 15 feet so it's not very much on catching an animal that's probably you know nine foot long right so from the mouth the leader coming out there's not much leader there the tail's almost hitting the boat when you're grabbing the leader Right. and how heavy was that leader um like on 16 pound they didn't have too much heavy leader back then i did have some 600 pounds on 16 i'd probably use the 600. it's like rope nah not really but you'd think it was just yeah. almost the size of the, some of the wires we're talking on here right that are on the table and then on the uh, four pound when we caught the first one ever in cape verde the fish was only 83 pounds but we were using 300 400 pound leader back then it had to be something that could take that initial sometimes they would take off and you'd have to turn them over in the air sometimes they would stop and gag right because because of, of where the hook was placed so you could go a little bit lighter the the one of my favorite record we talked about last time was 162 pound on on uh, four pound in the Pacific a lady caught I only had 120 pound leader because I was sail fishing right so we so couldn't you, we could just hang course, on
0: yeah, you'd break it
1: yeah we couldn't just hang on to that one but that was the that was the only advantage you had to take t- take advantage of on all that light tackle whether six eight pound we had to use 400 pound leader because when it came to the end game, you're gonna get one shot. The mate had to grab the leader, hang on, and- Hopefully get some gaps yeah. in it.
0: What, so what? The, the connection between your mono and that four pound, how would that, what, what does that look like? Because in fly fishing, we use now today, we used to, the fly guys back in the day, a number of years ago, where they were using like 80 and 100 pound test mono off the fly, and using a uh, a knot, which is a combination of two knots. You've got the bimini twist, and you got a figure eight on the 80, and you weave that through the figure eight, tighten the figure eight, and then you half hitch it, and then
1: tie a risotto knot. So, what's your connection with the offshore guys? It was very easy because you got your leaders already made up. They've got crimps on them, so you got a crimp on each end and a loop on your leader but to go to your snap swivel i would use the biggest snap i could like a Marlin's snap because when a mate reaches out to grab the leader i wanted that little bit of thickness in the swivel i just didn't use a swivel that would have been big enough it's just tiny it helped gave us a little bit more grip and from there we would have maybe a two to three foot double line and the only reason Mm -hmm. we used a double was for the knot you had to have a hundred percent knot i would use a bimini and that. And then, how do you connect that bimini to the snap swivel? It really didn't make a difference how you tied the double the snap swivel because you know now you got double the strength there. Right. So I have a knot that I kind of kind of came up with that's pretty cool. Um, you could have done a cat's paw. You could have just done any sort of uh, knot to attach it because as long as you pull it, when it gets to knots, any knot that you tie, to me, the biggest secret is wetting it and pulling it as tight as you can and you should break it occasionally especially with light tackle cinch it because the knot breaks because of the movement of the knot right the The friction it's that fast the heat and the friction it'll pop it so if i look at your knot if i'm on someone's boat and i see it it's not pulled that tight i know it's going to break so i always just go pull it a little bit tighter right away right if i can um so as long as my crew pulled it tight when we first started, I tied all the knots. I'd come off the bridge if we broke something off and tie another knot. On two pound, you can almost use a Palomar, a single going to it. We, Cause we would break off quite a few sailfish on two pound trying to catch them. And sometimes it got pretty hectic. So they just tie a quick Palomar that does test close to perfect, but you know, on two pound and a billfish you're n- never really using full drag no you're going to free spool a lot i mean you know you're only using a half pound of drag on two pound we caught the fr- you know white marlin they're probably some of the first records on two white marlin and sailfish on two um the two we caught in both oceans that could be still record i'm not sure i think uh pacific might be i think the Atlantic got broke um but we were tying a double with two pound Right. To start out with every morning, we'd have like two rods of each one, two twos, two fours, you know, uh, six one available back then. And uh, if we were using eight, I usually had a backup on everything. So right. if we broke one off, you grab another one.
0: So the promised land, when you would get out there, uh, I've always heard about the big seas. You know, what uh, talk to me about what it's like when you see this monster from the abyss come up in the, in the spread and that grandeur that Jerry
1: caught oh my gosh the one we lost oh that's a crazy story the one we lost was on a calm day and then the rough days were you know it can be calm as can be but when it gets rough it is outright some of the biggest seas you'd ever want to be in is the fishing better when it gets rough yeah that's what's springtime it's starting to bring them in saying it's time to go mate it's time to go lay your eggs you know here they come in from wherever they're coming and they get up and they start tailing down sea and You know, you're baiting them in the middle of that or they just appear, but they're coming in in there to lay their eggs so they're safe inside the reef to to grow up. So you're you're up in the tower looking for tailors and sometimes you'll see one that's just bright purple. She's ready to lay her eggs. And uh, the one that Jerry caught was one of the neatest things I'd ever seen. I looked offshore and here's this bright purple marlin and four black, solid black colored
0: males Males.
1: coming down sea. So I wheel the boat around and it had to be, uh, I don't know, eight to 10 that day, eight to 10 foot seas. So we get out there and I get in front of them and nothing. They, they will not even look at the baits. So we got two baits out, one swimming scad and one skipping bonita, short. And I get in front of them and nothing, nothing. And, and they're kind of tailing into the, they're kind of coming from offshore towards a reef. And I got within i don't know 50 yards of the reef i had to turn around i couldn't go any further and they're still coming and as soon as i turned the boat around they sunk down and disappeared man i'm like well i'm hitting stuff in the tower like darn 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 i'm up in the tower getting beat up back and forth i mean and you had a temper back then right no no i was pretty good back then (laughs) no i just you know here's a fish of a lifetime coming in and so i turn around i go back offshore to where i was kind of i was kind of sitting on a point out there where the kind of the bottom came out a little bit. So I'm sitting on this point, just trolling back and forth. And I look offshore and I see this big purple female and some males again. I was like, man, it looks like the same bunch. And here they come in again. And all the way the reef I go, I had to turn around again. Darn. So I went back out to the point. And this is probably about, I would say from beginning to end, not be or beginning to hook up, probably 40 minutes. Come out there, and here they come again. But now the males turn purple, and the female turn black. So I guess she released her eggs, and now the males are releasing their sperm, and coming down sea. And we're coming down sea, coming down sea, all the way to the reef, nothing. And I turn around, and I'm trolling back out to my point, and all of a sudden a long rigor goes down. And look back there, and we got her on. We got the the female out of that bunch on and she's not doing much up in that shallow water and within about three minutes scott levin grabs a leader and she just starts gagging she'd swallowed that j-hook and uh greg my mate he owns the uh, yankee fleet down there in key west <laughs> he is a good bottom fisherman he reaches over there and uh my girlfriend at the time was a photographer <laughs> and she got the best picture of the gaff being laid over this marlin and we put he put a gaff in her i came off the bridge put a gaff in her and we ended up putting like five flying gaffs in her and it was 30 minutes on the gaffs and she towed us in i don't know three circles we had her up tight to the transom and we did three she took us three 360s in those big seas, just beating the crap out of us which we i guess we deserve for harvesting fish back then but uh, you know you know done away i've never seen them happiest i ever saw jerry i think was that fish and the first one we caught on eight pound form i have a video of that one i would never seen it. It such a great smile and such a quiet humble guy um or sensitive guys would say i don't know how humble he was <laughs> right but he was really sensitive but that fish just took us in three circles and kicked our butt i mean gaffes were flying in and out and she was fighting for her life of course and right we were trying to Killer. To harvest, yep, yeah. yep. So we brought her back to the mothership and weighed her at sea and the mothership was rocking and the scale would say 11 something and then go down to 10 something and it stopped one time at 1060. I said, done away, it's a grander, that's good enough. Right. So we just called it 1060 and called it a day. There was no sense. But about the next trip down, Jerry came down later in the season, it was slick calm that day and nothing was going on in the reef. So I'm up in the tower, and I just turned it offshore, and we got about three or four miles offshore. And earlier in the day, I told the boys to put the one. Now we're record fishing because Jerry caught his grander, but we always had a, a a 130 ready to pitch for a big fish. And if I told my crew something, do something half the time, it'd take them about a day to do it. So this day I went, done away. I said. We're never going to catch as many Peters as, we're never going to catch as many Granders as Peter Wright or Bersacca or any of those guys out there. I said, I said the record's like 11 something on 30 pound. Let's just throw a 30 pound. Let's just go for the record. So I said, guys, put the 130 away, get a 30 out and get it ready. And on a 30 pound, you can fish a 30 foot leader. So so it's the same leader we'd use for the 130, we just stick on the 30 pound. And we get offshore and I see this big school of skipjack tunas out there so i go get in front of them and we had a skipjack tuna out and a long rigger for a teaser
0: you, did you know it was a marlin chasing these these skipjack tuna
1: no the tunas were just feeding but right. i figured there might be a marlin around i right. mean it's a beautiful bunch and i fished around a bunch of them and never got a bite and i fished around some and have got a bite and on the short bait we just we had two 130s out but with baits with no hooks so we had a skipjack and a long and and a uh a a bonita in the short so i troll by him and here comes this fish and she was big i'll never guess how big but she was big and she came up and i go throw the 130 throw the 130 and i look and Dunaway's down there with that 30 pound (laughs) i was like oh shoot so anyhow the fish came up and he eats the long skipjack come tight on the teaser and we just get the swivel back you know it's eighth i'm like oh my this fish is gonna go away she just got fed a six pound bait and so dunaway's got his skipjack right about where that one was and here she comes again she's gonna eat again and she eats dunaway's 30 pound my knees are shaking Uh, this is the biggest fish i've ever seen in my life dunaway drops back we're tight we got her on so i run out of the tower and i go to the bridge just so i can drive the boat better and we're hooked up and she's just really not going anywhere just stand like she's just staying right there about 50 60 feet in the school so i'm like done away push the drag up we gotta get her attention push the drag up so I pushed the drag up and we got her attention but she still wouldn't jump do anything she took a lot of line out went deep we got a lot of line back she went down deep again and by the about the third time this is after an hour the fish still i don't know if she knows if she was hooked you know to, those big baits in her stomach, she might be used to that little bit of resistance. And we started winding the reel in, and a lot the winding the line on the reel. And with those graphite reels we had back then, it spread the spool. And I looked down there, and the rod's really bending. I said, "Done away. I think the you know, we got to back the drag off." And, no, 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 we're fine. Pow, the line broke. We, we spread the spool so far it locked the reel up that's why i could see the rod really bending over bending right. over and we popped her off but that was one that i just told everybody i'd never to i don't know till you bury me i probably won't tell you how big i thought she was the big one got away that's part of fishing
0: and that's part of why we're out there you know to to chase these dreams and these fish and uh you know it's fun to get them once in a while uh to let us know that yeah it's a confirmation that we're okay at what we do but we will get humbled periodically and just when you think you know you're what you're doing it's um you get slapped in the face
1: yeah today's reels i think we probably would have had a better chance of catching that fish cuz everything's now is all you know latest and greatest titanium whatever it is in the spools and we're not spreading them anymore. technology's so much better oh yeah so the I, hooks
0: I, are so much better. The fly, the, you know, the fly world the, too. The leader material. Yeah. You, Did you ever see- carbon so, yeah, Yeah, so tough. It, much different, right? I mean, that's all you guys use now
1: for yeah, leaders, right? Yeah, but just not, they say the fish can't see it as good. But the, but the it's, doesn't fray as easy. It's tougher. It's harder. Yeah.
0: That's what I noticed, it's a smaller diameter.
1: Yep, you got all, yeah. everything you'd ever want in those leaders, so it's, it's so much better.
0: Well, after uh, speaking with you a couple of weeks ago, um, I was talking to my son Nick. He said we got to go fish with Skip, and obviously we have made some phone calls, and we're going to come with you. You know, in January, I cannot wait to come, hang with you on this legendary boat you know captained by you
1: no i'm looking forward to that so i invited you i got a trip before you and a trip after you so i thought it'd be fun just to have some friends down i like doing that you know just uh, we can relax i can sit there with you and tell stories i can let my captain drive the boat or i can go up and drive the boat or you know we just go out there and relax and not worry about numbers and the fishing should be decent that time of year we can throw flies we can throw whatever we want and it's so nice to have those type of trips where there's no pressure it's not like a charter where you really got to produce we can just go try different things mm-hmm
0: it's going to be so, it's going to be awesome i'm really looking forward you know to hanging with you and uh nikki and i have not done so well with the offshore world but i know capos has got some fairly flat seas yep and uh we're going to cross our fingers and i, I know that uh, we're going to be in some good hands
1: yeah well you you said something earlier you know about it's fish stories you know look at what hemingway wrote and zane gray wrote and some of the writers of the past wrote some great fish stories And when you get back to it, you know, we go out there, we enjoy a great day. And you come back with another story as as we live life. Some people like to travel. They'll tell stories about going to Indonesia, Japan, and, you know, what they do. We go fishing. We love the stories. Some people tell them better than others. (laughs) Right. But when you're sitting here having a beer at the end of the night and you you think about the, the stories that have come out, you know, it's like I took my wife out there to swim with the porpoise and tunas. And I couldn't find him. I found this big school of porpoise. And she jumped over and the porpoise kind of stayed around and all of a sudden I looked down, and this is off Capos, I'm looking at her and there's big dark shadows coming up underneath her. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about to go wife shopping. She's gonna be dead in a second. And they were pilot whales, fortunately, but still they're dangerous. They've grabbed people, girls, and throw them like a, a bone or pulled them under. This right. one girl got pulled under and my wife is just taking pictures and having a good time and she finally comes up and there's and, and there's another school came up under the boat but the big bull pilot whale the male he's got all those females with him he's one really lo- looking her over you know like is this safe or not or whatever i was scared to death but now we got a great story and good pictures right, right? <laughs> so you don't know what you're getting no matter what you do out there yeah so you know that's why i think we you know the the People like us that love being on the water, I don't care if, if I'm flats fishing with you, I'm having a great time. I go down the Keys, you know, catch a bonefish or permit. I'm having a great, it doesn't have to be. I can go out bass fishing and enjoy the hell out of it. Trout fishing in a stream. Yeah, It doesn't matter where it is, but that's my passion. And I really love just wherever I'm at, if I can get out fishing, it's just a blast. And catch something, that's a bonus.
0: Well, I can't wait to go and hang with you guys down there in Costa Rica. What, uh, if somebody wants to fish with you, how do they get a hold of you?
1: I have a website. They're pretty easy to find. They're, everything's kind of crossed over in this day under my name, under Captain Skip Smith. But having the hooker back, you know, that
0: combination is is, is awesome.
1: And for some reason, hooker was all those names were taken on a web. I don't, I don't understand why. But <laughs> so I had to go to the hookersportfishing.com for the boat. But but between all the tournaments I do and everything else, you know, I think people can find me pretty easy out there with the, today's technology. You put my name in or the boat name in, and it'll pop up.
0: Well, thanks for joining us. I can't wait to go fishing with you. Uh, I can't Skip. wait
1: for a few more stories. Yeah, absolutely. You Let's go make some a memories. Yeah. All right, bro. Yep. Well, thanks again. You're welcome. Did you get through your whole list? A lot of it. Yeah. There was a couple other stories I thought about and, and there I was hoping I wouldn't forget I brought my yellow pad too I was going to write notes as we went but well if you got a story you want to tell there's this no no there was something else that we were we were going over there that there was a story that you know when you start talking about knots and leaders and you know the learning curve I went from we started fishing for records in 83 when IGFA opened some categories and Jerry brought down a, like an eight pound rod and reel and some line and You know, all right, what leader are we going to use? How are we going to do this? How are we going to present the bait? Rigging the bait. I mean, people ask me about the secrets to light tackle fishing. And I mean, it starts from filling the reel to all the guides on the rods. We end up putting so many more guides on a rod to displace each little friction and and pressure on it. And so it went from designing which reel we're going to use to the rod design to that the knot you're going to tie. Yeah, it's a plucker. And then to rig the bait. And then the bait and switch started to be able to get the fish so aggressive. And really, you want to know who invented that? Fly fishermen. Right. Well, before me, they were doing it. And that's how I came up with the idea of saying, we can do the same thing of fly guys, but just throw them a bait. So here the fly guys were already doing what the guys are doing now, teasing them up.
0: Well, you know what's interesting? I was fishing with Eddie Herbert and Jim uh, Lambert in St. Thomas. Um, on the real tight. And we were doing a a show together, and they were talking about baiting and switching. And he was talking about the percentages of a better hookup. And with the fly guys, um, when the billfish came up, I used to always throw the fly right in front of the fish. I'd get the bite, but it wasn't setting the hook. And so then the bait and switch, Jim Lambert was saying, make sure you throw the fly behind the fish. So when I rip the teaser out, you get the going away bite. And so that's when he started talking about the percentages. It was like 30% greater
1: for a better hookup when you put that bait behind the fish with the whole bait and switch. Yeah, On fly, yeah. You definitely want that going away bite, and we hate that as as a bait and switch because it's it's not a good bite. Really, because yeah, Lambert, Lambert was doing that. He was baiting his fish with the all-tackle rods. That's with a lure. Were. He wasn't using a bait. On a lure, it's You're better. you right on a lure is better because you're just going to get that lure in front of them and get the hook to come across just like you would on fly right if you're pitching a bait you want that fish coming with you so you can drop it right down its mouth interesting so yeah but you know they found all this out over years i remember first fly fishing with rufus when we caught the world records down there you know the, as the fish was coming at us he would just throw the fly you know just take it out of gear and the boat's kind of just slowing down and he'd throw the fly in front of him and try to dipped the rod to him so the fish would be turning a little bit by the time he tried to set the hook later in life we found out the fish came close to the boat and he threw the fly and the fish was going away the hookup ratio soared so much better but all those little things that you you know that took some people so many years to to, to learn and now everything's in a magazine right <laughs> so we didn't have all that teaching that they have now you can get online and become a professional right away in your head and then right. you gotta go out and apply it and not be shaken and 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 still every trip i learned something to this day you know you're it's like you you know whether you break one off or what the hell happened there we've never done that before and what's interesting is that when you learn it's like
0: that was so obvious how come i didn't get that a long time ago yeah Nope. yeah you know, it's like setting the hook With tarpon fishing, it's it's really difficult to keep your cool and just keep stripping until you feel the weight of the fish in your stripping hand. Because you see that bite, and the first thing everybody wants to do is rip on that rod tip, you know, set the hook. And obviously, we know that you cannot do that. All you're going to do is poke the fish. He's going to jump out of the water, and the hook's going to fall out. But I remember for years and years and years, every time i trout strike, And the fish would fall off, or I'd miss the bite. I'd look at my right hand and go, "Will you just stop it?" (laughs) You know, and the profanity would begin. I hate my right hand because every time the fish would bite, I'd rip that fucking fly right out of his mouth.
1: You know. But every bite's different. Every fish is different. You got to either wait a second or you know what's interesting? You but but you left or right?
0: You're you're so right because now you know over the years the tarpon would come up and maybe sip the fly and keep coming at you. And you keep stripping as fast as you can to try to feel the weight of the fish. And if you don't feel the weight of the fish, I would trout strike as hard as I could and try to get that hook at least stuck in his face. I'd trout strike, hold that fish, and stomp on the boat with my foot to get the fish you know, to, to turn, turn, to go to the way. And then I'd drop the rod and set the hook. But there are so many
1: different idiosyncrasies of refining the game. Yep. It's funny you stomp your foot like that. When I was a mate in, uh one of the first charter boats, I jumped from the, like, the bridge to the cockpit and I got screamed at by the captain because of the noise it made. The sailfish went away. It was on the teaser. Right. Now, if we tease a fish to the boat and he gets onto the teaser and, and won't go back, we start stomping the deck so he'll turn around and get, get away from the get, boat for a second and go back in where the bait is. Right. So here you're stomping to try to get that angle you need to set a hook. Right. But from a tarpon bite to, to, to anything on fly, you know, your trouts or whatever, snook, every bite's going to be so different. You know, you got to either wait or turn the rod sideways or keep it low or pull it high or whatever you got to do to set a hook. Right. But everything's so different. And it's like, and like you said, darn it right hand. This was a, this was a tarp and I was supposed to do this. You have to ad lib. It's a dance Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny.
0: Um, I can't remember the captain's name, but I did a segment for good morning America with Marsha Bierman, And we were down in Island Marada catching shellfish And, um, at that time, I'd already been doing a lot of tarpon fishing and learning how to hang onto the fly line to, to create drag. And when my son and I would fish, we'd always palm the spool of the spinning rod and and max, you know, have the drag set lighter. So when the fish jumps out of the water, he lands against a light drag. But once he's back in the water, I'd hang onto that spool and fight him with maximum pressure. So. We're doing this segment and she's talking about her techniques, you know, this is the short pump with the hips going forward, you know, her style, I don't know what that, if that was that much different. The than pelvic it. thrust. Yeah. And um, so we're on the boat, she gets a bite, we got a sailfish on and so I'm talking to Marsha, so tell me about this techniques that you have to catch this fish, you know, quicker. So she's going through it and the other rod goes off. So we got a sailfish on. So I run over and I grab the other rod. and. And I, I reel it up tight. I get the fish on. And now I'm palming the fish and I'm ripping on this fish. And I'm cranking down and ripping and holding the spool. And the mate's yelling at me, don't touch that spool. Don't touch that spool. And I said, and I just, I said, just stand back, please, for a second. And I'm ripping on this fish and I pull him over the boat. We take the hook out and I go back to Marsha and I said, now, now, now talk about this technique, about how, how you can catch this fish faster. And, uh. And the captain, I think it was Alex somebody. Alex Adler. That's who it was. Yeah. He leaned down out of the out of the upper on the station. Calyx. Yeah. He leaned down and fist pumped me because he goes, You, you can fish with me anytime you want. <laughs> he was so happy because he hated the color of the line that Marsha and her husband were using. And here I was using, you know, Their tackles, my own yeah. way to how a you know, hang on the spool and catch a fish. And just by chance I caught a fish that was probably not as mean as hers, but it made
1: me look really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Sorry, Marsha. I, I love aggressive angling like that. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, Find them. Yeah. And if the fish is taken off, that's when you're supposed to stand back and just hold the rod and laugh and let it rip its line because yeah. you're not going to stop him. You are going right. to break him off. Right. But if, if you can keep them coming, keep them coming. Right. I feel better now uh, the same way you do. I think at 64 now, I'm a better fisherman than I ever was because uh, now I've been able to just sit back and relax and not, you know, do all the things I used to do. I'm more patient when it's time, and when they're ready to catch, I can boat handle as good as anybody because all the light tackle fishing I've done. So you know, at this stage of my life, you think that wait a second. This old guy doesn't have it anymore. You know, it's a young guys are doing so good. Right. But the, the the in my the way I think now is is so much better. You know, well, you're like a refined, sophisticated captain and angler. You know it and we're so doing, well. And we're doing it. We go out there, we're catching them. Are you still saying. fishing the lightweight stuff, the four pounds? Um, I did in Panama this last year, yeah. We fished them eight pounds. We caught two blue marlin on eight pounds for lady angler. One was just barely under the record. It was so much fun to be able to do that again. The boat handles so great on fish like that. You know what? I would think that after... At some point, you might not want
0: to do it, but it's just like when I go to the golf course with my son, to, to play and to, perf- and to compete with something on the line is so much more fun. Your focus and the, the attention paid is, is paramount. You know, if you're out there playing or, or fishing um, just for fun, yeah, it's fun. But to put something on the line, like in a tournament or put some money on it or a four-pound test, now there's a reason to pay attention, that much more of a reason.
1: Yeah. Well, the way I set the boat up right now, it's like we're tournament-ready every day. So no matter what fish I, I, we, we hook, I know it's advantage us because the tackle is perfect. Everything's rigged perfect. You know, the boat's running perfect. So you got everything going for you. So every day to me, we're almost tournament fishing. Right. We're making sure we do everything. My crew, we're making sure we go by as much IGFA rules we can. We want the people to hook their own fish. We want them to pick the rod up out of the rod holder. And if it's a lure, you know, and it's a marlin, pick it up, grab it. Don't worry about it. The drag set, relax, you know, push the drag up. The lever's right here. So we want to make sure everybody does it right. But we know our tackle is like tournament ready every day. Right. I have a two, a four, a six, a eight, a twelve. I got all of Dunaway's old rods with tournament line on them, up forward, ready to be used at any time. How can people not want to go fish with you? <laughs> you know. So, so if they want to try one at four, right. fishing's real good. Try to catch one on four. Have at it. We're gonna give you a 15 foot leader. We're you know we're not gonna give you a 30 foot leader just to say we caught a number. You're gonna catch it the old fashioned way. So you're still in the game. Yeah. Yeah. So still we're ready to do limit. it, whichever way they want and. And most people that we, we we're getting are just people just want to come down and have a good time. Just your average person. We Is it
0: ha- aggravating just to have the average person who doesn't no. understand the uh, the level of sophistication and the level of of uh, purpose that you have?
1: No, we're. I'm still doing. I'm still trying to be as fair to the charter as I can. We're fishing twenty pound, not thirty like everybody else. So you're catching your sails and your mahi on twenty pound. So we're going lighter. When we're out there marlin fishing, we're using a lot of 30-pound and some 50s, depending on the charter the, for the average person. If they want to try to catch one lighter tackle, we caught one the other day on 20-pound blue marlin. You know, people want to try it lighter. How big was that fish? Um, That was a pretty good fish. It was it's 175 or so, 200. Oh, cool. It was a nice fish. I couldn't believe it. And the fish came in so tired and didn't even jump that much. We got pictures of taking the hook out of the – holding the bill – and just taking the hook out and had the lady angler lean over the side but uh you know we're so we're trying to make sure that we can dial our stuff down so people really get their catch you know be more fair for the fish right and the fisheries but i don't care what it is you know we're out there every day trying as hard if not harder i'm burning more fuel than i should making sure that you know we're running to different areas just not taking our time and trolling and and just having fun we had one charter this year and they caught 42 blue marlin in three days and is was, that over a fad yeah that's out the seamounts on the fads but every day it was like 16 13 and nobody got wet we're not backing up fast we're taking our time letting the fish jump not looking not worrying about the big numbers we but we could have got 20 probably something in there wow if i wanted to hot rod it around and and, and do that or fish in all 50s but we just hook a single and catch it and enjoy and put, it respect this i only fishery. put two four lures out when we're out there two teasers and two lures and pitch pitch into the short ones and i mean but it's so much more fun to watch the people who get to see the fish and not worry about catching that 20 just all right caught okay, got 14 so we spent an hour in a fish i enjoy seeing a marlin go down deep and watching the angler get their butt kicked right you know right. with catching them on stand-up gear
0: what should uh, nikki and i expect when we come down in january
1: decent food good calm seas and whatever the good lord brings us there should be some marlin still around hopefully we get to throw a fly to a marlin for nikki or you yeah. and there should be some sailfish around there still should be a few dolphin around and hopefully we'll find some tuna schools out there we can mess with them too oh awesome so that's that's uh we don't do much bottom fishing there. The bottom fishing's kind of out, it's all pelagics, but it should be a great time of year. And it looks like it's already starting inshore fishing right now. It's been last week was really good. But Captain fished a half day, caught four sails, two for three on blues, four Mahi. I mean, you know, I I would given off I'd given up on the
0: offshore stuff because I've been so sick for so many years. But after speaking with you and reading your books, it's like I'm back in. We I'll gotta ca- go. Let's
1: call Marsha and get some of her magic medicine. Because <laughs> much s- offshore stuff she did, she got sick she her gets- whole life, and she got the pharmacist to make her a special batch of stuff. And she was out there every day. I got the fish with her, and she was, uh, you know, she was really a leader of stand-up stuff. You know, whether whether you fought a fish like her, because it did save your back if, right. if you did it right. But you know, to be able to stand up, and that's what everybody's doing now. Everybody wants to catch them standing up instead of going to the chair, and you know, make it more fair, make fight. it more of an athletic. Yeah. achievement yep yeah right. you really you know you're really pitting yourself against these fish whether it's you know on 50 pound and really pushing your body against theirs or if you're just trying it on 12 pound or 20 pound to catch something on a light tackle and you know to really be able to challenge yourself and not break it off i mean there's a lot more to angling than just pulling i mean you got to know right. when to back the drag off and you feel that acceleration of the fish the back the drag off between the belly of the line out there you know getting hung up and jellyfish and all sorts of goo out there and other fish in the ocean and then jumping 200 yards from the boat you know and the line's still going straight down i mean if you don't back the drag off you're gonna it's, bust it off right it's not like we're in five foot of water so there's a lot more to angling out there when to push it up you just said yourself you know here you knew a advantage you got your hand on the spool trying to Max that 12 pound out to make sure, you know, get everything you do. Once you get that fish's head coming and you're actually doing what's best for the fish too. Sure. The faster you catch the fish and can get your picture or whatever you want, get your numbers, get your flag up, let that fish go healthy. I mean, so it works both ways. So we're enjoying the sport, enjoying the weather, getting our serenity out in the ocean with the blue water and, you know, just, or, or the beautiful green water in the flats, you know. You love this as much as ever, don't you? Yeah. Yeah i'm just it's just it's it's my happy place good for you <laughs> all right looking forward to fishing with you. all right i'm looking thanks, forward to skip. part three yeah <laughs> after when we get back you're right it'd yeah. be awesome
0: all right all right that's thanks yeah all right thank you you're welcome you know that's the beauty of uh, fishing and stories there's always one more story we just shut down and skip you got another story to tell us
1: yeah we were talking about the sound machine right before So as quiet as this room is that we're doing this podcast, it reminded me of the things I went through trying to do the sound machine. So I take a goggle eye in the bucket and I put the microphone in there to pick it up because I'm going to record a goggle eye to play it back while we're fishing. So I got the goggle eye in, in a bucket and I'm trying to record it on the boat with a hose flowing, but the sound was picking up the pump and all the other noises through the water. So I've got this goggle eye. So now I got to go. Darn it! So I got to take the goggle eye, put them in a bucket, take them up to the dock, <laughs> to get rid of the sounds of the hose right. and everything else coming through. So, so then-
0: you're, you're so you're going to try to take the sound of the goggle eye and and it, and 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 boom that through the the sound system of your boat to make it sound like a bunch of goggle
1: eyes are swimming above the fish. I'm trying to make them grunt. I'm trying to take some croakers and make them grunt because when you get a fresh croaker for snook fishing, usually he's worn out. The guys that catch the snook, they want that gro- the croaker that's been in the pen for a couple of days, because as soon as they stick the hook to it, it's going. Right. and The snook are more aggressive, so now I'm trying to do that with the goggle eye, and uh, fascinating making sound. And then I was trying to make him splash the tail, go splash, splash 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 like he's trying to get away to make that sound. So then I'd get offshore and I try to take a bonita and do the same thing, but I was always getting the sound of the pump. So I was so into the sound. I was trying to take every different bait I could and make it make sounds, so I could play it back. So I had a skipjack tuna splashing in a bucket. You know, I'd have to take the sound out, put the bucket up on the covering board, and make them splash with the thing in there, and just splash and Get that tail going, so I could play that. So I was trying all sorts of sounds. Did so, it work? Uh, only the fish can tell me. So because but the, you but the, you did that. I mean, so that you fished with the sound it. machine making the sounds of these baits. Yep, I, I did that just before we shut it down. But when I did play it back, I didn't know if I was playing it back too loud and it sounded like a two thousand pound goggle because <laughs> <laughs> you don't know where your, your volume is. Right. So it still need a lot more studying to be done. But it was just it was I was so into it, I'm still into it. So you're still researching this? I'd like to. Exactly. Yeah. I don't have the funds to really do what I did before, but I'm still thinking about what I can put in a boat, whether it's just a big boom box back in the Lazarette and play Hank Williams. Or Blondie, or <laughs> who I had to play, but you it's know, probably ma- Johnny Cash that raised all those fish in all those years. Well, yeah, well, I think it was between Hank Williams and Blondie. My brother would put Blondie in for a little while, then Dunaway put in Hank Williams, and back and forth. And that's why I fished in the tower a lot. I don't know if, I, I don't care for the music when I was concentrating fishing, but they would fight over the stereo system. But I still oh, think yeah. there's more to playing that stuff down the road if you could really get it right. Right. So I don't know, I'd still like to play with that stuff some more, but You know, you-
0: now that you're kinda of into this and you see the connection between the boat sounds and the boat raising fish and the and the sound of goggle eyes, et cetera, I kinda of wonder in retrospect if you think maybe Hank Williams and Blondie and the loud music in the back of the cockpit might have prevented fish from coming up to the boat. You think? I, no,
1: I think, it's, I think your engines are still Dominant. making more sound than, than that stuff out there. But when I was playing stuff in the water, there was no doubt there was a difference. So to be able to take that into the future, let's just say you go over a wreck and you can start playing the sounds of that croaker and get those groupers start turned on or the snappers start turned on like, okay, where's this thing I love to eat? You know, it's like, boom, and you fire your bait down. You got them on point. You got them all on point. Right. Like when you go to catch a tuna, you, they might be milling around, but that first tuna starts to dart at your bait. The other one wants to beat them to it. Right, So makes know, a lot of sense for sure. Yeah, and that would let, that'll turn on a lot of different fisheries where you're seeing those snook laying under the bridge all day long and they only turn on from what hour to what hour. But if you can get the croaker playing in there and start getting them all excited, and all of a sudden you drop one down there Everybody. and the other guy's like, I'm gonna beat you to this. You start that frenzy. Yeah. That's what I was always trying to do is get their attention. I know they're down there. They're down there all day long. And all of a sudden at three o'clock the sailfish start biting. It's like, what turned them on? You know, one of the things I've seen happen in in Los Sueños during the tournaments, we're catching them pretty good. Then all of a sudden there's about an hour lull, And one of the captains go, oh, there's tide change right now. How do they know there's a tide change 50 miles offshore? You know, but they know that. I don't know why it is. The current may still be moving, but they shut off for about an hour, then boom, they're back on again. Crazy. So, you know, they're down here all day. What can we do different? To get them to bite all day long. And that's the things I was thinking of. Right. I mean. Outside of the box. I'm trolling for swordfish at night now. I'm switch baiting swordfish at night trolling. Really? Yeah. Not drifting. In Capos? No, out here. in Florida? Out here. I go out there and I put two planers down and troll. And the planer trips and we tease the swordfish right to the boat and throw them a bait. I've caught five out of six on six pound trying to catch a six pound record switch baiting them. Just Actually, re- no, I did four out of five. The other one I caught uh, just throwing another bait. And no one's ever done that before. Well, they're doing it more and more. There's guys, I've caught them on fly now. I think Croninger, Roy Croninger caught one on fly out right. here. A couple and Bouncer. Rostigy. Yeah, uh, he caught his just deep jigging on fly, but I think he's trying to do it at night now with Bouncer. Right. Now that everybody's seen what I'm doing. So now we're switch baiting swordfish. It's the most fun to you have your clothes on that far offshore off Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> That's crazy. But if it's calm, you don't have to come out. Night fishing is tough, though. You might have to medicate yourself. No, no I
0: I'll, I'll leave the night. Come fishing on, well, for I'll let you throw guys. the fly. <laughs> when right. you like to
1: catch one of those things <laughs> no, on the fly,
0: there's, there's better things to do at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're in by, by midnight. We're in by midnight. <laughs> She'll still be here.
1: <laughs> I don't fish that late. Uh, Anyhow, all right. All part right, three. Buddy. All right, bud. All right.
0: Captain Skip Smith has done what most people only dream about and caught the fish great books are written about. He, his knowledge, and his willingness to share will one day be rewarded with his induction into the IGFA's Captains and Crew Hall of Fame. I'm not jinxing this by saying this. It's just a matter of time. Meanwhile, I'm going fishing with this legend on his legendary boat. Yes, the one with the pink engines, the hooker. Part three is imminent. If you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Also, if you have any recommendations on guests you'd like us to interview, please let us know at millhousepodcast.com.